Hello, and welcome to Converge, the number 44 tech podcast on Apple Podcasts and the number one tech podcast among fans of fake ads. My name is Casey Newton. I'm the Silicon Valley editor of The Verge, and I am excited to share this episode with you because it's time, gang, to talk about artificial intelligence. AI! Did your eyes just glaze over because you're tired of hearing words like machine learning or neural networks or it's just like the movie Her? Or did your pulse quicken because you know that someday soon AI will take your job, steal your boyfriend, and build an army of robot soldiers who will subjugate your will? Well, either way, you're going to be fascinated to hear today's guest, Marin Nelson. She's the co-founder and CEO of Clara Labs. Clara makes a virtual assistant that you access through email to manage your schedule. And lately, it's focused on recruiting. So if you're hiring somebody, Clara manages that process for you. You may not have heard of Clara, but I think they're a good company to keep an eye on if you want to know what is the true state of the art with AI. Marin is both very excited about the future of AI and very practical about it. You know, so many of these AI companies I've talked to over the years like to paint these visions of the future that will not come true for decades, if ever. And that makes it hard to understand what's happening right now. What is the real state of the art? What should we be excited about? And and is there anything out there today that we should be afraid of? So you're going to hear Marin talk about all of that on today's game of Converge. And in the final round, we play III, a game in which we try to use artificial intelligence to solve a variety of common problems and fail spectacularly. And with that, it is time to play Converge. Hello and welcome to Converge. Converge is a game show that is easy to win, but not impossible to lose. Each week, we bring on some of Silicon Valley's most fascinating entrepreneurs, and they compete to see how high they can go on the all-time Converge leaderboard. My guest today is Marin Nelson, founder and CEO of Clara Labs, an artificial intelligence company that is working to automate some of the most tedious work we have to do. Marin, thank you for joining us on Converge. Thank you for having me. You look like you're ready to give it 110%. I am. Let's get started then. The first game we play on every episode of Converge is The Big Idea. I asked you ahead of time to bring me your biggest and best idea of a non-self-promotional nature, and we'll pick it apart to see what's inside. Points are awarded on the basis of originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with it. So, Marin, what's your big idea? My big idea is that science fiction has really hurt the chances that we're going to get scared of AI when we should. (laughs) Uh, So that's an interesting idea because I feel like we've seen a lot of movies and TV shows where there is a malevolent AI. So Mm -hmm. why don't you unpack that for us a little bit? What what do you mean? Yeah, I think that every time or almost every time people have played with the idea of an AI and what it will look like and what it means for it to be scary, it's been tremendously anthropomorphized, right? You have this thing, it comes, it walks at you and it says like you're probably probably going to die. Or it makes it very clear that there's some chance your life is in jeopardy. Yes. I think that the thing that scares me the most about that is not the likelihood that in the next five years something like this will happen to us, but the likelihood that it will not. And over the course of the next five years, as companies continue to get better and better at 
building these technologies, the public at large will not understand what it is that is being done with their data, what they're giving away, and how they should be scared of the ways that AI is already playing in and with their lives and, and information. Right. So the sort of, um, you know, the idea of HAL from 2001 is maybe distracting people from what the actual threats are. I think very much so. And a couple of supporting examples of things that have happened lately, of course, the, the easy one is everybody looks at Facebook newsfeed, where you get to ask interesting questions like, was Facebook's algorithm optimization for or engagement, the thing that determined our most recent president. Right. Uh, where the answer is, who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. Possible. <laughs> That's that. I don't like that answer. It's yeah. not what I'm a fan of. I think another one that people don't think about as much, though, is even the 2008 financial collapse. Mm. Right there, you have another situation where there are people who are building risk models about what they can do with money. And then they're giving those risk models, which are, in effect, you know, models like the ones that are powering Facebook newsfeed and all of these other such predictive models, AI. And they're giving them to bankers. And they're saying, hey, bankers, seems like, you know, maybe these securitization loans and the housing, you know, it's going to be fine. Right. Um, it's not going to be fine, right? <laughs> it's, it's not at all. They're dealing with a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And at the end of the day, in both of these cases, as with newsfeed, with the securitization loan, uh, it is the consumers who end up taking the big hit because the corporation itself has no real accountability structure uh, and they're, in a way, not to steal, but too big to fail. Yeah. I mean, one of the ideas you're getting at is that companies of all sizes sort of wave AI around as a magic talisman. And the moment they say, well, don't worry, we put AI on this, we're all supposed to relax and say, oh, well, like the computers have this handled. But what you're sort of pointing out is actually these models can be very bad at predicting things or they predict the wrong things. Absolutely. And I think that the reality is is just the opposite. When you when you start to interact with consumers a lot and have a product like ours that is uh, largely AI, there is a there is a real fee f- fear factor. What does that mean? What does it mean that I'm giving up or giving away? And this this sense of losing control. I think it's important always. The, the thing that we say it's important always to give the user greater control and greater visibility than they had had before you implemented systems like this. You cannot simultaneously have a lot of these kind of algorithmically made decisions and restrict somebody's control over, for example, who they want to appear in their newsfeed and make it really easy for someone to determine that they should give you some amount of data and have easy information access to what it means to give away different parts of their data and what kind of story Google or et cetera might be able to tell about your life that you may not want them to be able to tell based on all of those little points that they have. You know, I read an interesting study today that said that if you take uh, consumers and show them why they're uh, seeing a particular ad on Facebook and you sort of show them how they were tracked from place to place, Mm -hmm. it makes them much less likely to ever click on that ad, (laughs) which is like kind of the whole business model. Uh, So that sort of made me laugh. But sort of getting back to your original idea, you're saying like sci-fi right now is bad. Mm -hmm. Do you have a vision for a different kind of sci-fi? Like, Mm -hmm. is there a way, because obviously like anthropomorphic Morphized AI can be very exciting. I recently watched Alien Covenant, in which uh, anthropomorphized AI does some very dastardly things. Uh, spoiler alert! I, it's it's harder for me to imagine sci-fi about like credit default swaps. For sure, no, that's that's a good point. I think that the thing that people I would hope could 
disambiguate is the idea of this conscious, sentient AI or something that is on the brink of is it or is it not, right? Which is what most science fiction has played with, this idea of self-deliberation. And think instead about all of those consequences we've already seen of models that we've built, that experts have made, that have had tremendous consequence to their lives of yet. All of these all of these things are risk models, and we should be interacting with them as such, and we should find ways to hold the people who build them accountable accountable for uh, the risk. Right. Like the, the systems that are just running in the background right now are far scarier than any like theoretical Android. Yes, exactly. And it's hard, even even in our case, so many of the articles that have been written about us, they get her or, you know, images of uh, Ex Machina. The yeah. Movie, yeah, the movie her, Ex Machina, all of these things to try to illustrate to people, oh yeah, this is that technology, right? This is, that's, it's the same thing. And that's true to a degree. But but not having a good visualization of those digital intelligences really cripples people's ability to associate them. Actually, I have a, a great quote. I was in I was in Texas uh, a while back reading a physical newspaper, and on the left hand side there was this little picture of an android, uh, and above it it said, "70 percent of Americans believe that a robot will be in their homes within the next 10 years." <laughs> And I thought it was hysterical because it was like, you should probably let them know that they all already have robots in their homes, <laughs> right. right? Depending on what your definition of robot might be, like yeah. we're, we're, we're talking about a lot of words that don't, have, that don't have good definitions. Yeah. I mean, an Amazon Echo really gets like, so close to what people in the 40s thought a robot would be, totally. right? Short of maybe like doing the housework. Yeah. One of the other things I've loved, of course, is that the Jetsons always imagined this like separate maid character that would go around and fill the dog bowl and go up to the to the refrigerator and check on what's in the fridge and like do all these very separate tasks. And of course, instead, you just have a self-filling dog bowl, <laughs> like, <laughs> a thing that tells you how cold your refrigerator is. And uh, it's much less glamorous than yeah. it could have been. The future has turned out to be somewhat less glamorous than they promised us in the 50s. Yes, and different, I mean... But, and it's also been much better in other ways. We've had some interesting things. I don't think that they talked about in the 50s, not to allude to what those <laughs> things yeah. might be. Yeah, a lot of interesting things. All right, well, that is time, and it is now time to score the big idea round. <gasps> Immediately? Immediately. Oh, my God. I, it's a lot of pressure. Damn. For originality... I have not spent that much time thinking about evil algorithms as sci-fi material, so I have to give you a solid eight on that. I think that's a really fresh idea, and I think that gives us something to chew on. Presentation, I thought, also very nice. Got to give you an eight on that. Profit potential, here's where I think it gets interesting, because what you've just sort of laid out is a whole new way that people can make money, which is instead of making movies about evil AIs, they can make movies about algorithms, which if somebody cracks that nut, you're talking at least 10 to $12 million, I think. Honestly horrifying, yeah. though. Also, yeah. even imagining watching the movie makes me a little a little freaked out. Oak is like, why? It, I don't know. There's just this insidiousness to what you cannot see. Mm, I yeah. highly recommend checking out interviews with Alex Garland, actually, the Ex Machina director. He has a better way of communicating about like investigating this uh, human animosity towards technology and AI than anybody I've ever seen. Very cool. He also just uh, directed Annihilation, yes, which I saw. It was a, uh, based on a book that I, I really enjoy. Very good. Profit potential, also giving you an eight. 
There's a common theme. Finally, do I agree with it? Uh, and I have to give you a 10 on that because it's 100% true. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I am worried about anthropomorphic robots who are going to kill my entire family. Yes. But I'm much more worried about what some have called weapons of math destruction, which is the title of a very good book on this subject, by the way. Yes. Because there are a lot of algorithms causing trouble out there, and we need to spend more time thinking about them. So at the end of the first round, Marin, you have 26 points. Very good. And with that, we move on to the interview round. The round where reputations are won and fortunes can be lost. That's not true. Marin, you're CEO of Clara. For those who still haven't checked it out, what is Clara? Clara is a scheduling service, and we work with recruiting teams primarily, right? So we schedule interviews between candidates and hiring managers. We help you get together the panel interviews that are super complicated, book conference rooms, send follow-up emails, confirmations, rescheduling, all of that nitty-gritty coordination work for people, people. And the idea is that over time, you'll be able to automate more and more of this. Is that right? Yes. So the way that we provide this service is something we call human in the loop. And human in the loop means that if we can parse something and do it reliably, automatically, we do so. And if we feel like, ugh, you know, we, we may not have gotten that right, right? There's too much risk in our model. We determine to send it to a contractor. They work out of software that we've built. They get shown the predictions that we've made, and they determine whether or not that prediction was, in fact, correct. Mm. So we then, for all of our users and everybody who interacts with Clara, are able to provide a near-perfect experience, right? The accuracy is very high, uh, in fact, higher than a human usually is able to to perform at. Pretty mistake-tolerant. Right. So if I were to... write an email to you that said, Marin, let's have lunch at noon yep. tomorrow at McDonald's at this address. You First of all, you'd say yes, because you're always Obviously. excited to have McDonald's. lunch at McDonald's. But that, that seems like something that'd be pretty easy for like an AI like yours to parse, like that that is you know, probably done thousands, if not millions of meetings. Yes, yes. I think that it's actually really interesting. Language, relatively speaking, is much more challenging to understand than images. The difficulty is that language is really self-referential and hierarchical, right? So you need to make sure that you understand the context of all of it. I'm sorry, that's a little right. bit Well, no, but, so my, my sort of second example was if I received an email that just said, hey, Marin, it's that time again. Shall we do it again yeah. at the usual spot? Yep. The AI would have no idea what I was talking about. That would about. be tricky. That right? would be incredibly tricky. And at that point, the human would come in and say, hold on, first of all, where's the usual spot? But yes. then maybe they would know because they have access to previous emails or something. Or or perhaps in the more difficult situations that we often interact with are next Wednesday would be great unless you can do in person, in which case we'll have to bump it a couple of weeks based on your preference. Happy to come to your offices. right? And, and which, people really are that awful with each other, aren't they? Oh, so much more awful than that. You have no idea. It's a really interesting kind of traveling salesman problem. I don't know if you heard of this idea before. Explain it for people who aren't familiar. Yeah. So it's, it's really mathematically challenging to figure out the ideal amount of distance that you can travel from point A to point B, assuming you have a lot of different things to reconcile. Poor explanation, but uh, there you go. So if, if you're dealing with 
people's time, their relationships, the relative priority between different meetings, the locations that they are at any given point in any given day. You have a huge number of variables that anybody has to shuffle, which is why scheduling is so hard, especially if you are, for example, a recruiter. This is your constant uh, bane of bane of your existence, and we, we end up being quite helpful. Right. So here's why I love it. So there's there's so much talk there, and there's so much hype around AI. Like justifiably, it's very exciting, right? The idea that computers are going to become these excellent assistants to us, right? But we always think about it at that her level, right? Where this is like a, essentially a sentient being that I'm talking to that perfectly anticipates all my needs. And of course, we're sort of fast forwarding there. But if you want to know, like, well, what does AI look like today? It looks like what you are doing, which is trying to do something that seems on the surface very simple, which has helped two people get together in a room that in reality is unfathomably complicated. So I've always liked talking to you because I feel like you're doing the actual work of building AI that most people just want to sort of skip 50 years ahead from. Yeah, I think it's really challenging per our earlier points to figure out how to actually bring these services to market. There's there's a catch-22 in building a lot of these things in that you can't face something to a user unless it's quite good, right? It needs to predict the right thing in the vast majority of cases. Yeah. But you can't get something to be really, really good unless it's interacted with tons of data and have, has really learned how to nail it uh, on, on that prediction. So there's there's this funniness to not being able to get the thing in front of the user because it's not good enough, but you can't get it good enough because the thing isn't in front of the user. Mm. Um, so human in the loop is a way to kind of protect against that and to train in an ongoing way as opposed to it being very binary. Because your machines can make as many guesses as they want, but yes. there's always going to be somebody checking the work. Exactly. We oftentimes refer to it as a kind of agile training environment, agile machine learning. Interesting. All right. So we're in this era of unprecedented hype. You've always had a fairly measured take around what AI can do. Give me some thoughts on sort of the state of the art with AI and has it progressed a ton, let's say, in the past six months? Are we in sort of a, a stagnant period right now? Um, and, and as you look at the, the results that your own teams are bringing back to you, how, how do you feel about the state of progress? Great question. So the big debate is whether or not the idea of deep learning is a sufficient paradigm to get us to super, super smart AI. And right? give us a thumbnail explanation of deep learning for people who maybe aren't super AI familiar. I realize that's a hard question. I always have to look it up whenever I no, write about no, it. No, no, totally. Deep learning basically suggests that you have a tremendous amount of data and you can use that huge amount of data to let the models in an unsupervised way come to understand what the interrelationships between that data might be so they can then make intelligent predictions with it in spite of the fact that they didn't go through the supervision of a lot of human labeling and training the way that they might in the Clara system. Right. So a, a deep learning system is training itself. Yes. And so fact. there's debate over how effective deep learning can be right now. Yes. And specifically, yeah, how, how far it'll take us. I think the big argument is uh, there are a lot of constraints, as with any new technology, right? There are a lot of constraints. You need huge amounts of data. It's still really hard to work on things like language and make real progress. So the constraint right now is, do we have uh, sufficient compute power to be able to really use these deep learning models? Do we have sufficient data to be able to get a lot of juice out of them? And the field is really all going after whether or not that is, is true. And what do you think? I think it depends on the 
it depends on the problem you're trying to get a solution for. Well, let's say your problem. Yeah. So, so in our problem, we basically said we don't want to have to be at the very, very cusp of the of the research community, right? We want to build a company that's really valuable to people. We want to build an interface that is easy to reliably interact with. And the way to do that is through model that means we know what data we're interacting with. It is labeled really well, really cleanly and consistently because we're interacting with one type of conversation. It's about scheduling meetings. We're interacting with it in a high volume um, and and we're doing it repetitively. So, And we are providing a service that has enough of a value proposition to our users that they're willing to pay us quite a bit of money for it. So all of the cost of that human labeling is relatively uh, unsubstantial relative to the value of the service. Right. So, you, you know, you, you brought up sort of how much data you need. And when I've talked to other founders in AI land or venture capitalists, they will tell me that sometimes startups can be at a disadvantage to the giants like a Google or a Facebook because they simply don't have as much access to data. So, how have you, has that been an issue for you? Like, how have you approached that? Great, great question. This is, again, for us, a lot of the value or integrity of the human in the loop uh, service, right? Because we are interacting with all of the data that we have very closely, because we are able to uh, label it, understand the conversation, because we've chosen this hyper-focused uh, and specific domain, we don't need as much data as you might need to unsupervised deep learning you know there there are a lot of methods that you could employ with different constraints with more data etc that we just don't use right now maybe right. one day right maybe our problem will be different but we, we really focused on what it was what problems we felt were really tractable right so the the humans sort of fill in some of the blanks exactly I think it's interesting you know Facebook had this service uh, M mm-hmm. that they rolled out in California to a few thousand people that was a human in the loop assistant and you could use it to do things like order dinner at the local time and they would actually have a human call and make that call for you, they could not figure out a way to scale it, and yes. they killed the human-in-the-loop part of the system. Yes. So you must have just rubbed your hands with glee when that happened. <laughs> no. I Well, I, I will say I love it when people try to figure out the models that make sense for these different problems, right? It is really important for us to have a lot of simultaneous experiments going. So I, I appreciate Facebook's at that. I think... A lot of people have this compulsion to try to have an assistant that does everything for you. It just feels so nice. Unfortunately, it's really hard to build a piece of software that can interface with and intelligently comprehend what it means to call this person for you and also draw a picture, right? Those are just totally different domains of intelligence or understanding. And so these quote, human in the loop systems, we would suggest are more human systems where there is no loop, hmm. right? If you if our definition of human in the loop would be to suggest that when there's a human involved, that human is involved in a way that is, in fact, training the system. There is a feedback loop to a better ability to predict something in the future. Right. Facebook system was basically just humans. Exactly. Yeah. Just and humans, humans don't no scale. And that's why we need software. Exactly. Take just humans, human no race. loop, no scale. Yes. It's unfortunate. And if you hear that sound... It's time for the lightning round. Now, in the lightning round, your job is to answer as many of these questions as you can in 60 seconds. You're allowed to pass on any question, but should you do so, you will forfeit the question. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock. What's your favorite data set? What? (laughs) 
Oh my god. I would love a data set of all of the clothes worn by my top 30 most fashionable human beings and where they're from. And then I would love to know what the closest replica to that is at a fraction of the price. Now that is actually a great sounding business. Uh, Hint water or LaCroix? Neither. Okay. Uh, I like tea. Tea? Tea. Tea's where is that? How many meetings are you in each week? Ooh. You know how hard it is for people to answer this question? Like, I've I've asked it to hundreds of people uh, over the course of my tenure at Clara. It's hard. Probably 20. 20 meetings, okay. And uh, what's something that should definitely be on the blockchain? Oh, good. I am so blockchain illiterate, it's actually one of my most shameful secrets. (laughs) And that is one minute. (laughs) (laughs) Marin, you answered. I'm going to be generous and call it five questions. Oh, no. I was Uh, supposed to answer as many as possible? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. This is, listen, Converge is a game. Can I have style points? Um, We do not award style points for the lightning round. But here's the good news. You've already scored way more points than me, and there's only one round left. So the odds that I could come back to win this would be very small. Casey, this is like when you played chess with your dad as a child, and he's supposed to let you win. My dad didn't actually let me, so maybe this is like my reward. (laughs) But now I get it. I get the game. it's, It's still been a phenomenal performance. By by my uh, consideration, and again, we're heading into the third round, and you have a huge opportunity here. Marvelous. Now that brings us to the wild card round. In the wild card round, we reach into the Convergitron 5000 to unearth a game generated by some of the world's most sophisticated algorithms. Earlier today, we selected the game, which goes by the name of Ai Ai Ai, and that's spelled A I A I A I. It's pronounced. Ay, ay, ay. Yes. Now, in ay, 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 I will present you with three randomly selected problems. Your job is to tell me how you would use artificial intelligence to solve that problem, and I will evaluate your answers on originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with them. Then the tables will turn, and you will give me three problems to solve using artificial intelligence and evaluate me under the same rubric. Do you have any questions? No. Very well. Your first problem is, how would you use AI to improve dating apps? I would have them schedule dates. Say more about that. Well, that's the whole point, is that you're supposed to connect with people. And so I think that dating apps conversion rate on the dates would improve if it were real easy to figure out how to meet someone. I I have to say, I've actually never used a dating app, except when I had a boyfriend. I downloaded a lot of them just to see what they were. (laughs) Right, see what all the fuss was about. I told him and he he got very nervous that I was going to find the one. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. You bring up a great point, though, which is that if you are on the dating app grind, which, like, full disclosure, I am, that, that problem of how do I actually meet this person at a restaurant yes. turns into a part-time job. Yeah, absolutely. Reservations and yep. things, it just gets, I would imagine it would get nuts. Yeah, I mean I'd, how would you uh, feel about a world where maybe uh, the app sent you a reminder that's like hey, you know, this person said they were interested in you. Uh, do you maybe want me to like book dinner next Take week? Take some initiative here. Yeah. Hey, I'm here to help coordinate between you two. Super excited for your really fun date. I'm sure it's going to be a joy, a pile of joy. People have had tons of fun here. Right. What do you how do you feel and then like you, and then you make more money because you get Yelp to pay you or whomever the restaurant, right, for the suggestions there and you, go. you can have special hookups, candles, 
Everything. This is what we call profit potential, and that is part of the score. Scheduling. Just think about everything through the scheduling lens. There's so much money to be made through <laughs> scheduling. I swear to God, Casey. All right. Well, you know, number two is sort of in a similar vein, but how would you use AI to improve email generally? It would be so embarrassing if I just answered scheduling for all of them. I mean, you can. I think people are going to be like, wow, Marin was really like on that scheduling. I know, grind. no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. AI. <laughs> I really do think that the connection between email and calendar is terrible. In, in fact, I would say just disparate messaging systems and a sense of your of your calendar. There's not a good central repository that brings those things together. We're starting to see cool things come up like, oh, we see that in this text message of yours, you were referring to this place. Is that what you want to search? Right, yeah. That's, that's a little like. nifty. Yeah. yeah. No, you're bringing up one of my pet issues, which is email actually is just like a, a calendar with a terrible UI, right? Because oh, yeah. you dig into those messages. For sure. And ha- half of them, in my case, are like, do you want to be here at this time yes. and place? Yeah. And I have to like find time in my data to sort of dive in. And I desperately want AI to sort of say, hey, these are like actual calendar messages. And we can sort of like maybe faintly put them on your calendar. And you can just click a yes button. And then all of a sudden, I don't have to respond to the email. Like AI just sort of takes care of that. This is a feature. One day, one day, I will let you sit with me, and we'll look at EXO. EXO, it's our software system that uh-huh. faces contractors. It is basically the most intelligent mail ca- client, calendar client that has probably ever been built. Wow. I would actually go so far as to suggest that's probably true. And when you say mail calendar client, you mean like messages? It's it's not uh, it's not a man. Yeah, I mean, I mean okay. messages. Just I, it's a podcast. So we have to clarify for people. It is. It is very literally a system that has been built around intelligently understanding calendar and making all of your messaging super easy because of that. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, that brings us to the final problem that I wonder how you'd use AI to solve. And again, these are all generated randomly. And it, the problem is getting me more subscribers for this podcast. Can AI be of any help yeah, in that situation? Yeah, you know, there are those systems that will generate fake people, like fake faces. Right. I think if you were to strategically get bot followers that were super attractive, mm-hmm. specifically, mm-hmm. and then have them, I don't know, just quote like song lyrics, something that makes them look like just really in- entertaining, charming mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. People might catch on. Right. So, I, I mean, it seems like Twitter might be a good place to do this. It seems relatively easy and cheap oh, to yeah. buy Twitter bots. No, on Twitter. You could just, and then you could write about it yourself. This is insane. You could launch your own. Casey, you should do this. Really? You, as 100%. Okay, tell me. Get some, get an intern. Yeah. Make them auto-generate you just tons of AI followers. Right, I like and it. And then just explode it like have three have a way to have like 300,000 followers someday and I don't know how you I don't know the red herring has to be that you write a bunch of posts about yourself Mm -hmm. so then there's some like justification but it can all be about how you're just getting fake followers I don't know but yeah so you're saying that not only is this an opportunity to get uh, subscribers for the podcast it's an opportunity for me to uh, write content about the whole project you should definitely do an AI project that you write about you Just can, get an intern. Oh, yeah. Very good. All right. We're not going to score you yet because now the tables are turned. Oof. And in the second round of III, you have to give me problems to solve using AI and using my deep expertise in AI, which consists mostly of reading the Wikipedia page on deep learning a few yes, times. Yes, yes. Uh, I will attempt to use what I know to come up with good solutions. So 
can you give me a problem that you think somebody should solve using AI? God, my head is so full of things to do with Clara. I'm the most boring, boring person to ask about AI. (laughs) (laughs) I actually am the worst person. Um, Hmm. Maybe I just don't have any problems. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have problems. We all have problems. Where did my socks go? Hmm. I never get all my socks out of the laundry machine. Sometimes I buy expensive socks, thirty dollars. Yeah. I don't know if you do this. How yes. do I get an AI to help me protect my socks? This is a great question. I'm going to tell you how we're going to solve this yeah. problem. We're going to build image sensors into the lids of washing machines. And as you put socks into the washing machine, they're going to sort of manually tag. They're going to look for those unique signatures in the weave of the socks. And after you're done emptying all of those socks, they're going to send a report to your smartphone that says, here's how many socks you put in and here's how many socks you took out. And just based on that, even if you don't put an RFID tag in the sock, which I think might be a good long-term solution, you're still going to know when you leave the laundry room, hey, I'm missing a sock. Casey, I believe this. Because yes. you know how much money gets wasted a year losing things to your washing machine? I've, he- I've heard that it's over $31 billion. I've heard it's over $31 billion. So you've heard like, the same Just thing. in the yeah. United States. Just, that's just in the United year. States. Yeah. It's really bad. Traumatic. And no one ever talks about it. Yeah. Perfect. So no. I'm kind of... Yeah, yeah. Wiping my hand. I'm feeling good about that one. Yeah. Hmm, Next thing. Next one. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, I want to know what to wear for Halloween based on the number of people that I'm going to celebrate with and where I'm going to be going for Halloween. And ideally, also using some of that creepy data access, what everybody else who's going is going to be wearing so that I am different. Yes, 100%. So, Here is where I think Amazon is going to be your friend, Mm. because I think that as they become the leading source of American Halloween costume sales, they're hopefully going to be able to generate anonymized reports of not only the most popular Halloween costumes in the country, but also the ones in your area. And if they were ever to develop social features before you went to buy a costume, they might even be able to say, like, hey... It looks like you're buying the same costume as two of your friends. Maybe buy this costume instead. You know, you wanted to be Mario, but what if you were Luigi? Yeah. All of a sudden, you don't even have to message your friend anymore. That's good. So you'd have to give away a lot of your day. I don't know that Amazon would ever do that, <sighs> but I could see AI, AI helping. For Halloween, Casey, though, honestly, yeah, I'm so bad at Halloween costumes. <laughs> really? What were you last Halloween? I, I didn't even dress up. I don't talk about how bad I am at Halloween costumes because it is... I tried to be Steve Jobs once, which is, that's really bad. Like, that's how desperate I got one year. It's I had a little no on the nose. what to do. Every startup founder is essentially, like, dressed up as Steve Jobs every day. Like, it, it feels no, a little on the nose. look, I'm, like, the opposite of Steve Jobs. I don't mean literally. I mean, like, everyone is sort of, like, metaphorically dressed up as Steve Jobs every day, you know? Mm, You're yeah. just like, hey, how's it going? Uh, the computer's a bicycle for a mind. All right, I wasn't talking about that. That's, that's what I mean. Damn. Yeah. All right. That's great. That's two. You got I've just one more teed thing to you throw up too me. much. I'm gonna try to. Th- I'm gonna come Give up me a hard one. Yeah, Nelson. I'm gonna try to come up with a hard one. Yeah. What single seven day experience will give my life the most meaning? <laughs> oh wow, that's a a really tough problem because <laughs> meaning. <laughs> my understanding is that assessing meaning is still relatively beyond the scope of. Hum, uh, of computers. You don't believe that the AI is going to help us tap into our own sense of meaning? I think there's a I think there's a real potential for this to be improved. Sure. What I would like to see 
is some sort of social infrastructure that would show you what your friends have done. So if you go on Facebook, for example, and you're friends with a bunch of like annoying tech people like me, you see constant requests for recommendations. Right? These they always make me laugh. It's always like, yeah, hey gang, uh, I'm flying to Antarctica for lunch. Any recs? And people tie. I, I just sort of always answer Olive Garden just to troll. Like no matter where people are going, ah, I'm going to be in Beijing. Hey, try Olive Garden. Uh, just to troll those people. Is it still funny to you? Do like do you giggle? Honestly, every I've time stopped. I've kind it? of stopped doing it. But for like three months, it made me. Laugh every single time. But what I want now is to know what the heck happened with the recommendations. Like, Facebook should just sort of know based on the recommendations. Like, I, I am going to travel this summer. Why can't I just dip in and say, like, I, I get to go to Greece. I'm very excited to go to Greece. Why can't Facebook just say, like, here are these six things in, in Greece? Now, at the same time, I actually don't trust that Facebook is going to know that just because like six of my random friends went there that I'm going to have a good time. So this is like I feel like my worst answer to, to your questions because I, I actually yeah, don't know how to get to where potatoes. you're at. Do you have a better answer than me? Yeah. <laughs> good. So. Let's hear it. Firstly, you know, you have to have an AI that can dialogue with you, right? Yeah. Well, let's go back. Firstly, you have to submit everything you've ever written, said, considered, Every amount of like physiological information that you may have about yourself, wow. you just submit it. Great. Okay. Turn it over. Sure. So Done. now there's this model that the AI has of you. Ideally, you get your five closest friends to do this as well. So right. it can build that really holistic sense of who you are and what's meaningful to you. They're already doing this in China, by the way, but go on. And then you have to be able to dialogue with it, right? Kind yeah. of like a therapist. And you have this conversation about what what is meaningful to you. And the AI is able to service to you all of these things that have been meaningful to you in the past and meaningful to people that you're close to. Mm. And it allows you to kind of visualize yourself in a way that no human being can enable you to because of the amount of data that it can sort through. Yeah. Th- and you know then what? it makes recommendations. Maybe maybe the Greece thing. Maybe it does end up just becoming Greece is clearly the winner and nobody should do anything but go spend seven days in Greece. That would be disappointing. I would if that's the case, I don't even want I don't want to know. It could be yet another case of Silicon Valley building technology with negative consequences. Ooh, dun 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 dun. <laughs> Very good. That brings us to the end of the wild card round, and it is now time for us to score one another. Firstly, on the subject of originality, I have to say your first two answers were basically just to extend your current business to my random examples. I got a big vision. You have a huge vision, which I respect. Your, your final answer, though, for getting me more subscribers to this podcast, which involved uh, an illegal scheme to purchase a bunch of Twitter followers, I found highly original. So I have to give you a nine on that because I thought it was fantastic. Uh, Don't I get retroactive points for, like, I am founding this company, it's, lo- no, it's still original? No, I need to make this very clear. No one gets any points for founding a company. That is basically a prerequisite to get on Converge. Oh, that's, so that's the, that's yeah, I'm sorry to, to, to inform you of that. Number two, presentation. I cannot argue with the presentation. It, I've, I highly enjoy I always enjoy the final round the most, and I enjoy this a lot. So that's getting a 10. Profit potential, I also have to give you a 10 because it seemed like you were actually going to do all three of these things as part of your current business, which I have a lot of respect for. Not the Twitter one. 
Uh, not the Twitter one yet, but hey, give it, you know, over I'll long enough time You should do that one. I'll give that one to you. Yeah. And then finally, do I agree with it? Listen, if, as far as improving dating apps and fixing email, yes, 100%. As far as using a bot army to get me more subscribers to this podcast, I'm going to have to check with legal. So I'm giving you an eight on that. So that's a, a an excellent score for the wild card round of, uh, let's see, 29, 37 points to Marin. And now, uh, Marin, you must uh, judge me on that same rubric. Okay, so originality. first is originality. <sighs> see, I, I really teed you up for the first few. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to say. Don't, gonna, don't spare my feelings. I'm going to assume, given that I know you, that you would have had really original responses. The last one, though, it was kind of weak. Okay, that's we're, fair. We're going to say seven. Seven, okay. I've got a seven on originality. Next up, presentation. I mean, you always you always get a 10. Oh, you're so nice. I should stop inviting people I like so much on this podcast so we stop agreeing with each other so much. Profit <laughs> potential. When I was listening to you, I was like, yeah, right? These things are going to happen. Yeah. I mean, definitely the sock thing in the washing machine, right? Definitely the sock thing. Yeah. That is a huge deal. I've seen, I've seen people pitch a lot of sock ideas on Shark Tank. Um, I've actually only seen Shark Tank twice, so the fact that I have seen multiple people pitch sock ideas—it must says be like a something. recurring segment there. Yeah, yeah, something. Um, let's let's go for an eight. Eight there, and finally, do you personally agree with my ideas? Oh yeah, we'll we'll go. Can I give halves halvesies? Sure. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. Wonderful. All right, so we'll total that up, and that final score for me is thirty-three point five. Marin, your final score today? Please keep the silence, the long silence. I want everybody to know how long it took Casey to do math. Marin, your final score today is 68 points, which is good enough for a very high spot on the all-time Converge leaderboard. Casey, 68 just, it really, it really harkens back to the couple of tests that I got D's on. And it also harkens back to the year 1968, which was a very turbulent year in American politics. Oof. Deeply resonant, but frankly, a masterful performance on Converge. Thank you. Marin, thank you for coming on, and thank you for making content with me. Thank you for having me. That's today's show. My thanks to guest Marin Nelson, both for appearing on the show and for putting AI in its place, firmly under human control. Marin, while you may have defeated me today, I have reason to believe you were assisted in your victory by a powerful AI and I will not rest until I've exposed you. Thanks to my engineer, Jeremy Dalmas and my editor, Andrew Marino. If you like today's show, it would mean a lot to me if you took out a full-page newspaper advertisement telling everyone that it's now mandatory to listen to Converge. That helps people find us. How's the show going so far? I want to hear from you or your AI assistant, if you have one. Email me, Casey at TheVerge.com. I'm at Casey Newton on Twitter, and you can always tweet about the show using our official hashtag, Benghazi. If you want even more of me in your life, I write a daily newsletter about social networks and democracy. That's called The Interface, and you can find the link at my Twitter bio. And until next time, the Convergitron 5000 is closed. Game over. This episode is brought to you by the Cheesecake Factory, now hiring able-bodied men and women for work in its storied factories. Bake delicious cheesecakes in an industrial furnace where the temperatures exceed 600 degrees. Can you bake 30 varieties of cheesecake, including Reese's peanut butter chocolate, fresh strawberry, and orange juice toothpaste, while avoiding injury in a fast-paced environment where the breaks are few and the pay is entry level? Cheesecake Factory wants to hear from you. Visit CheesecakeFactory.com and apply with the code 
Cake Verge for expedited processing. The Cheesecake Factory is not responsible for any maimings or decapitations that take place on the factory floor. Cheesecake Factory, get baked. This ad was fake.